Welcome everyone to episode 5 of Stirring the Pot. As you know, my name is RJ and I'm here with Connor, Andrew, Gabe. Awesome, let's get it done boys. Um, First off, before we start this episode, I got a little uh, personal story to tell you guys. So uh, my mom was at work, right? She was. Uh, she worked for Geese Control. She kind of goes around like the national parks and stuff. And there were like these three cops, right? And they were apparently uh, not having too much to do. And my mom actually introduced the podcast to them. And they are actually probably listening to this as we speak here as this goes live. So shout out to the three cops from the Stowe Police Department. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. Uh, just wanted to get that out of the way real quick. Thought it was a fun little story. Uh, that I found out this morning, um, but guys, how are we feeling? Feeling good. It's uh, it's definitely we're just a little PSA. We've all been kind of sick recently, so our voices are probably going to sound a little off. I know RJ was going to go over that pretty early. Yeah, beat me to it. We are. Uh, yeah, it's allergy season, man. It's not been fun. I've been dealing with it for past at least almost a week, week and a half. So just you know, if you guys are going out, stay safe. Uh, try to do the best health precautions you can because um, flu season is not going to be fun yeah I, I think that gets it my throat is killing me but we're, we're here we're on the grind for you guys and we're here to bring you an episode yes sir so let's go over the recap from last week's games andrew what it, what happened in your game man what happened well notre dame louisville i was wrong Louisville pulled it out at home. Um, Audric Estime, 10 carries, 20 yards. Horrible showing for him in that Notre Dame rushing. Just 44 yards and 28 attempts. The true freshman out carried him, which is five carries for 37 yards, being Notre Dame's leading rusher. Sam Hartman, two touchdowns and three interceptions, going 22 for 38 for 254 yards. In Notre Dame, I would say it's pretty fair to say that their best strength is their ground game and their offensive line. And they got bullied I, that five sackle five sacks eight tackles for loss against them that louisville defense is no joke they generate a lot of pressure how about forcing five turnovers including four or three of four of notre dame's final possessions being a turnover the other one being a touchdown exactly that's huge especially it's a prime time game on espn it's in louisville we got jack harlow and donovan mitchell in attendance you got the stars out and Louisville just looked like the better team. They outplayed Notre Dame. Right, SMA only had 10 carries. They're limiting him to two yards a run. I mean, that's going to result in something. And surely Louisville kind of read the script almost to how to beat this Notre Dame team. And could other teams in the future do this to Notre Dame? I think for sure. I mean, uh, we'll get into it later with USC. But this Notre Dame team was tied 7-7 to at the half. And they come out and just get pummeled in the second half. Not a good showing. Yeah, and we did talk about it. I forget what episode, but we did talk about the way to beat Notre Dame is to force Sam Hartman to throw the ball. We did mention that a little bit because we all agree on this. We don't think he's a high-end Heisman candidate, and we never have. And it, it showed this game. Yeah, now you got to think this puts uh, you got to think this puts Louisville in the ACC championship kind of contending because now with Duke losing and now they've got Miami, Florida. Like, you got to think that they're going up the ranks for the ACC title. That is for certain. We will touch up on Miami, Florida in the AP section. Uh, but switching games here to my uh, bold, really bold take. I'm about to say get the laughs out now. Uh, <laughs> last episode, 
I said, give me the Wildcats on the road, 24-21, and God, I could not have looked more dumber. Uh, Georgia, just wow, they overall were the better team. I mean, with Carson Beck going 28 for 35, 389, and four touchdowns with only a pick to show, I think it kind of shows that he was getting the ball out, he was getting his job done, and under pressure, he just excelled. I mean, and Brock Bowers obviously had one of his games having seven receptions for 132 yards and a touchdown. His longest catch of the game was a 49-yard bomb. He's averaging almost 20 yards a catch. I mean, just looking at it overall, I think Georgia was the definitely the better team. I mean, looking on Kentucky's side, Ray Davis got shut down. He only had 15 carries for 59 yards, and he was actually the team's or Kentucky's second leading receiver. Well, yeah, and the quarterback, Leary, has not been great this year. And this is no different. This is one of the worst performances I've seen, despite him not throwing an interception. Absolutely. He had a lot of hype coming out of NC State. He looked like a he looked like a pretty good quarterback there, and people in Kentucky were like, oh, he could potentially be the answer after Levis leaves. But so far, that hasn't been the case. Yeah, and I think the... Uh I think the big key was them shutting down Ray Davis, who you said should, and I quote, get 40 carries, if you remember from last week. I mean, it would have made sense. Yeah. He only had 15, and look what happened. Yeah, but I I, I think Gabe's right saying that uh, Devin Leary did not show out at all, and especially when they needed it, when Ray Davis got shut down by that defense. Absolutely. I mean, Leary was 10 for 26. That's definitely not the way you want to be playing if you want to try and upset the number one team in the country who is mainly known for putting talent in the NFL at the defense. Is this Kentucky as bad or Georgia is that is just that good? What What is the answer? I think it's a mix of both. Honestly, if you're Georgia, I mean, this is the, exactly the game you needed to kind of quiet down the haters a little bit that were saying, oh, they were playing horrible and they deserve to get beaten by one of them. This is the game. It was uh, Kentucky was a ranked team. You go out, you win at home, you you win in I would say a dominant fashion. That's all you need to do. You just win in dominance and overall show that you're the number one team in a season that has had a lot of uh, movement coming in with the rankings. Besides maybe the top three or four. So overall, I think for this game, Georgia dominated, and they have to keep playing this way in the SEC. You know how hard that's going to get later on down the line. There's a couple of conference matchups that you obviously know can be, obviously Georgia would be favored one game, and then they could lose. It's, it's happened. We've seen it happen. So honestly, I think Georgia overall did what they need to do, and if you're Kentucky, you need to look at your uh, style of offensive scheming and maybe have to switch some things up a little bit. Uh, but switching games into a very interesting ranked-on-ranked matchup. Connor, talk to us about it. All right. So last week we had uh, number 21 Mizzou hosting number 23 LSU. Uh, Jaden Daniels has been looking like a much more poised quarterback over the years. Or over the games, at least. Sorry. Apologies for that. Um, 15 for 21, 259 yards, and three touchdowns with a 97.2 QBR. Now, that was not just his strong point in that game. His rushing stats were what carried him, in my, uh, in my opinion. 15 carries, 130 yards, and a rushing touchdown. Now, people may be calling him a running back now because he's got the numbers to be considered a running back. He's got a lot of rushing yards. He, he is a du- he's, he's about as dual threat as they come. 
And, I mean, another another running back, so to say, for LSU, Logan Diggs, 24 carries, 139 yards, and a touchdown. This LSU offense looks like it's firing. Uh, and wide receiver Malik Neighbors is also one of those players who's firing. Six catches, 146 yards, and a touchdown. Now, LSU did come out with a 10-point win, 49-39. But Mizzou did not go down without a fight. Brady Cook threw for 400 yards and two touchdowns. Now, he did have two interceptions, but that LSU defense looked really good out there, despite giving up 39 points. Uh, Like I said last week, Luther Burden, wide receiver for Mizzou, he had a great game. Despite not putting up a touchdown, he had 11 catches for 149 yards, got them in really good position on the field. Um... It looked like a good battle of running backs, too, because Mizzou's running back, Cody Schrader, 13 carries, 114 yards, and three rushing touchdowns, and to combine with two catches and 11 yards. Guys, this was an SEC, this was an SEC offensive battle. Absolutely, an SEC offensive battle indeed. But were you impressed with uh, Mizzou quarterback Brady Cook? Yeah. I mean, other uh, obviously, you had two picks. You did. You don't want to throw interceptions, but it happens to the best of them. I mean, it's an LSU defense. You're going up against you're going up against the Tigers. I mean, it's Tiger on Tiger, but you're going up against the LSU Tigers. You got to kind of pick and choose your battles. I mean, Major Burns, safety for LSU, he had a pick six on him. So, I mean, do we think it's Brady Cook not showing out? Because I mean, he did throw for 400 yards. It was 47 attempts, but 400 yards is 400 yards in the air. I think it's just playing a talented SEC defense. Like, if they call it one of the best conferences in college football for a reason. LSU was a highly ranked team coming into the preseason before the Florida State collapse. So they're still a really good team, in my opinion. So overall, I think it's... Brady Cook can still have um, that comeback, as we can say. He'll still be putting up uh, good levels and good numbers. And wasn't that pick six towards the end of the game, though? Yeah, it was. I mean... Yeah, that's true. But honestly, when I watch when I watch that LSU offense though, I do get flashes in Jane Daniels of Lamar Jackson. He he runs like him, he kind of plays like him. He's got the stats to back that up too. So, maybe when he gets to when come draft time, maybe a couple teams could be looking his way cuz the dual threat ability. You calling him the next potential Lamar? He's got the potential to be that. He I mean, with the frame, the running, I mean, you think he could be one of those sneaky pickups that could potentially get you first, let's say, uh, I'll pick a random NFL team out, for example, like the Lions, say if they want to move on from golf, a younger, yeah. more mobile option, say I'd, if they needed that. I'd go to another team in the north. I'd go with the I'd go with the Vikings. Yeah, but see, that's if they didn't pick a high quarterback. We'll yeah, get into that that's later. That's true. But yeah, I do kind of get those vibes from him. Like if you remember Lamar's first year in the league, he was a project guy. And when he, fir- when he first came in, everyone was like, oh, it's Lamar. But after that, when he got some coaching and he worked on his throwing, MVP. Those guys, those guys are hard to come by. Absolutely, that is for sure. And then switching to Oklahoma and Texas, where horns down ended, ended up happening. Gabe, what happened? It, it was Dylan Gabriel. You know, he... His passing, 285 yards, 23 for 38. His completion percentage was a bit down, but his rushing game killed Texas. He was scrambling. He had a 40-plus yard rush. And that last drive of the game, 
Oklahoma is known for their fast pace. They love to play the tempo game, and it showed. They they run every drive like a two-minute drill, and when it was time for it, the actual two-minute drill, they made it. They ran that thing to perfection, and it ended up winning them the game. Quinn Ewers threw his first few interceptions. He had a terrible first quarter, but 20-plus straight completions in the second half really got his team back into the game. So if it wasn't for the slow start, I think Texas easily would have escaped this. And another name I'd like to mention, Jonathan Brooks. And I know we mentioned it last time. I think it was Connor who, who asked me, could Jonathan Brooks, because he's only a sophomore, turn into something like B. John Robinson? And I answered with no because the receiving game was not there. And I think B. John is just so agile that Jonathan Brooks couldn't like copy that. And he, he proved me wrong. He was making defenders miss out there. He was choosing what moves to do, what moves would get him open. He looked flawless out there. Yeah, he, he definitely lived up to that, I guess, bar that I set him to. But, yeah, I like that take. Absolutely. I think for Oklahoma, that was a key, key win. It's a rivalry game, and Texas being ranked as high as three, which hasn't really happened in a long time. You get the win in amazing fashion. Overall, it was a really back-and-forth game, but Oklahoma got the best of them. Uh, Dylan Gabriel, I mean, Gabe, do you think that could have been a potential don't-count-this-guy-out-of-the-Heisman type game? Well, you guys know me, and I think it was the first or second episode I said my sleeper was Dylan Gabriel, and you guys kind of laughed at me. And now he's not he's not up there yet with like Knicks and stuff. You know, Knicks, Penix, Caleb, Williams, they're all in their own league, I like to say. They're just so far ahead. It's not even funny. But Gabriel is trying to get into that mix. And with Sam Hartman not playing that great, you know, Jaden Daniels has been on a tear. Jordan Travis, he's he's kind of slowing down, but he's still good. Dylan Gabriel is making a name for himself in that conversation. Absolutely. I think he is for sure. So as we are going to switch on to the uh, games of the week this week, I'll start with my game, Notre Dame traveling into USC. It's going to be a great game in my opinion. If you're looking at Notre Dame, obviously the loss to Louisville, you need to bounce back. You're on the road again. You need to show out against a really good Caleb Williams-led Trojan team. So overall, I think if you're Notre Dame, you're going to want to have Audric Estime to get more carries and get more yards per carry. I think overall, letting him do his thing on the ground, allow Sam Hartman to get better passing options out there. So in my opinion, I think that would be Notre Dame's key goal to win. Looking at USC, I think you got to let Caleb Williams keep balling out. That's what he's been doing as usual. Um... But my only problem with this USC team is the defense. Last game against Arizona was 43-41 to in three overtimes. Like I said, the SC in USC stands for Swiss cheese. They, oh, they, they were getting diced. I think the key thing, Notre Dame, you've touched on it, estimate had a rough game against uh, Louisville. USC, their defense is not very good. So Notre Dame has their biggest strength in their running back and their offensive line going up against the biggest weakness of USC. Estime has to go for a big game. There's no way he can't, right? I think he has to have a huge game. Yeah, and I think Louisville showed what Notre Dame cannot do, and that's rely on Hartman when it comes down to it. I'm not saying Hartman is a bad quarterback. He's definitely got talent. 
but when they relied on him, three interceptions is not a sexy number. It is not at all. And comparing what USC is allowing in yards, 421 per game. <laughs> on, def- on defense, it's not going to get it done against the Notre Dame team that almost pulled off that upset at home against Ohio State. I worry about Notre Dame and their ability to close games. It feels like a constant issue at this point where you look at Ohio State and they obviously lost a kind of, can we call it a choke at the end there? Uh, to a, to an extent, yeah, I'd call it a choke. Duke, they got, I don't want to say bailed out, but they, they actually won that game there. And against Louisville, they just collapsed in the second half. I worry about their ability to play in these close games and to compete with other great teams. I think absolutely you're right. I think if you're Notre Dame, this is your chance to kind of prove like, hey, we deserve to be in the conversation with these top 10 teams. Like this game is a needs to be a statement game from Notre Dame. I think if it's even if it's close, these conversations are still going to be about Notre Dame not being able to close out or beat the big teams by big numbers. Well, you said it's a stable game for Notre Dame. This is also a stable game for USC. This is their first true opponent. Their defense is pulling off a spectacular 421 yards a game against barely any competition. I mean, they shouldn't have won that Arizona game. I just saw it was uh the USC pull off the failed Cowboys Zeke center play. They had three blockers, and Caleb Williams said, "Fine, I'll do it myself," and put on the gauntlet and ran into the end zone. Yeah, I completely agree. As you brought up a point that I was about to bring up, yeah, for USC's defense, this is a huge game. I think we know, obviously, what Caleb Williams can do. He's a generational talent that'll be in this year's draft for sure. But looking at that defense, it's just you need to show out. You need to shut down Notre Dame's playmakers, in my opinion. I think you're not going to get the job done. And it could potentially be maybe a higher scoring game than people think because of USC's defense and what we've seen out of Notre Dame's defense so far. So my prediction for this game, I think it's going to be a high scoring close game. I think it's prime time on NBC. Uh, Notre Dame is given the 61.8% chance according to ESPN analytics. Overall, I think Notre Dame needs to get it, and I think they'll get the job done. I just think USC's defense is just too many, too many question marks for me. So I'm going to go Notre Dame 35 to 14. What? Wow. So not really too high scoring, 14? but. Uh, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of USC. For USC. Caleb Williams is scoring 14 points. Like you're, I, tell, you're telling me a dude that just put up six passing touchdowns is going to score 14 points on Notre Dame, who just got diced by Louisville. Uh, I mean, I, it's it could go either way. I don't know. Either way is not 35 to 14. I'll tell you that. Yeah. You better probably. you better not tell Tanner Mounds that he'll he'll fight you on spot. Yeah. He's a huge <laughs> Caleb Williams. Oh player. yeah. I think. Uh, actually, you know what? Think about 14. Eh. I don't know. I don't like 14. I think 35-28. I'll switch it. It's going to be more close. Oh, yeah. You'll give them a two yeah, field goals. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. It, it's, it's, there's so many question marks around this game. I really don't know who to give it to, and it's actually in Notre Dame. So Very interesting to point out here haven't as they, well. Haven't they lost in South Bend, though? I believe... Uh, not this yeah. season, I don't think. Yeah. Didn't Ohio State beat them in South Bend? Oh, yeah, duh. I should probably remember that, that, that. Ohio State beat him, yeah, home, off that home, run. Home field doesn't mean the, anything. To trade him, no. Absolutely not. It's just, I don't think there should be much defense. That's my bold take. So, But I still have Notre Dame winning it, that 35-28 score. So, 
getting into another game, a more of a hometown game for us. Gabe, take us into this very interesting WVU game. Well, as you know, it's the first ever meeting between WVU and Houston with Neil Brown, of course, on the climb with us this year. West Virginia's number two in the Big 12 versus Dana Hogerson, former head coach who's done a lot. I, I know it ended kind of poorly, but he, he's done a lot for this university. He's Every time you walk into that stadium, you see that orange bowl with Geno Smith and Tavon Austin over Clemson. It's a game you can't forget. And he had nothing but nice things to say about WVU. That's not true. Uh, I saw an article this morning that said that, Dan, that Dana Holgerson came out and said that you can't get high-level high school players and that the players that we're getting at West Virginia, and I quote, can't win a Big 12 championship. Well, that's when he was that when he left, or was that when he? That's came? when he left. Yeah. Yeah, because he's big on JUCO, and I can name some JUCO players he picked up. Skylar Howard was one. Kevin White was one. Was Zul Douglas was one, and these guys are all JUCO players. Yeah, you didn't know Kevin White was JUCO. No. Yeah, was Zul Douglas was also JUCO. I, I, that Rasul Douglas was the one that hit me, and he's very good at recruiting from JUCOs and other teams, and it really showed. But this game has a lot because Houston's offense is spectacular. Let me tell you something. Donovan Smith transferred from Texas Tech. He's a big body quarterback with a phenomenal rushing attack. And he can sling that ball. You know, against against Texas, his former team, Texas Tech, had four touchdowns and 300 plus yards. I mean, that's that's a great game for any quarterback. Now they did lose 49 to 28. They got dominated. But, you know, they got... He's a junior. Their freshman running back, Parker Jenkins, had 13 carries for 71 yards. That's a great average of five and a half. Tony Mathis didn't do really anything, which as WVU fans, you're kind of happy to see. And then you have another WVU transfer, Samuel Brown. 6'2", fast, fast. He's a fast player. 10 catches, 113 yards, and a TD. You, you love to see someone of his talent be able to play good. Do you think he's going to make a huge impact in this game? Oh, definitely. I think it's mostly because of his speed and size. He's 6'2", 195, I think. And our top corner, Beanie Bishop. Now, I love Beanie as much as the next Mountaineer. He's under six foot. That's going to be a tough thing to guard. And he, I, I got to give it to Brown. He is faster. So it's going to be a lot for Beanie to handle. And I'd love to see him have a breakout game because we're going to need it from him. But... Another guy that Neil Brown wanted to focus on was Matthew Golden. Not for his offense again, but for his return in special teams. He had that. He's already returned one for a touchdown against TCU. He's averaging a ridiculous amount, and he's able to crack past the 50 at any given return. And Neil Brown, that when you have a great returner like that, it sets you up with great field position, and it makes you like it makes life on the offense so much easier. But on the flipping to the other side, their defense. And in my notes, um, I have the definition of defense here. Let me try to find this here. I found this on Google. And it says, in sports, the action or role of defending one's goal against the opposition. I will be sending this to the defensive coordinator for Houston and his DMs. Wow. Woo. A little bit of fiery hot takes, I could say. Hey, exploit it. They are allowing 163 rushing yards and 400 plus yards a game. Ooh. 
it's not a great number. They've been picked apart. They've allowed north of 250 against multiple power conference teams, including TCU. Texas Tech had two 100-yard rushers, with one of them only having six carries. Wow. Could you imagine having six carries and 100-plus yards? That's a a great stat, especially considering that we... We're a pretty heavy rushing offense. Oh, absolutely. I think even with Garrett Green and CJ, we could potentially have three 100-yard rushes if we really yeah, wanted to. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and it's it's, it's just a Dana Hogerson defense. Dana Hogerson, one of the greatest offensive minds I've seen. Like I, I know I haven't seen many coaches, but Dana Hogerson, the talent that he can produce, he's, he's got a number one pick under his belt. He's got my, He coached Michael Crabtree. He coached Kevin White. You, you look at these players, he's coached, and some of them not, you know, and some of them have not fared well in the NFL, but we're not talking about NFL. We're talking about college. So you bet the offense is going to be great, but the defense has always been poor for him, mostly because he used to run a 3-3-5 three, three, defense at West Virginia, which I, I, it's, it's mind-boggling. But I'm looking for WVU's offense led by, led by C.J. Donaldson. I know it's by Garrett Green, but tonight it's going to be C.J. Donaldson. He is the primary running back against a Houston that struggles, Houston team that struggles against the run. And I'm looking for him to really be able to attack. Now he has 86 carries for 348 yards on the year, four touchdowns. There's also Jalen Anderson on this team, Jameer White. You've got Justin Johnson on there. And I think all four of those runners, including Garrett Green, of course, will be important. Sharing the load of the running will be very important because... As we know, C.J. Donaldson, he suffers from minor injuries. So keeping him healthy and being on the field is the most important thing for Neil Brown. And you bet you that offensive line is going to be putting in work once again. People do see this as a trap game, um, but I feel like Neil Brown's not going to switch the game plan up. I would say, especially including in the storyline, that most of our linemen, our offensive linemen, are from West Virginia. Homegrown Zach Frazier, Wyatt, Wyatt Millam, um, Doug Nestor, I think, moved back here after he came from Virginia Tech. It's a homegrown line, and they're growing strong. They're they're farmer strong. Like they're homegrown farmer strong. Do you think they're kind of gonna have extra motivation to kind of show Dano like what to kind of bring back those words he said years ago? Honestly, I don't think so. Because what I think about this Mountaineer team is they don't care who's on the other end. That offensive line just wants to put you in the ground and demoralize you. They don't care who you are. They don't care if that's Georgia. They don't care if that's, you know, the 49ers and Nick Bosa going up against them. They are going to want to put you in the ground. Absolutely. I think that's a great take. And I think something that that's something that WVU will do really well tonight. Yeah, and another one thing before I get my score prediction, time of possession has been huge against Houston. All the teams that have really fared well against them, like TCU and TTU, TCU had phenomenal time of possession against Houston, and that's WVU's bread and butter, bread and butter thanks to them running the ball so much. So look for their time of possession to be key in this game. I saw a stat earlier that said West Virginia is the second slowest paced CFB offense in the Power Five conferences. Based on stats of second per play, if that means anything. It's very huge against Houston, who, because if you, as we all know, if you keep the offense off the field, you can't score unless your offense messes up with a pick six or a fumble recovery. But I have West Virginia pulling this one out 27-24. I feel like it's going to be another tight one just because of how effective this receiving game is for Houston. Absolutely. I think that'll be a fun one to watch tonight. And then 
our final game that we're going to look at for this week. Andrew, take us into an SEC matchup. Well, we've got Texas A&M at number 19, Tennessee. Texas A&M coming off the 26-20 home loss to Alabama. Of course, Tamu's first-string quarterback, Weijaman, is out for the season with a foot injury, so they turn to Max Johnson, who went 14 for 25, 239 yards, a touchdown, and an interception versus Alabama, as well as being sacked five times. He's making his second start of the season, and it's on the road at the very tough to play at Nayland Stadium. They have two main wide receivers, Anias Smith and Evan Stewart, each over 400 yards on the season. But Noah Thomas, the talented 6'6 sophomore wideout, he has four touchdowns receiving. He's missed some time due to personal reasons, but he's back now, and he also had an injury. Zero receptions versus Alabama. I think he's going to have a big game. It's an offense that averages 275 yards passing, 150 yards rushing, 402 yards per game, and some key defensive players, Edgerin Cooper leading the team in tackles, TFLs and sacks with 12 TFLs, six sacks. Their only road game this year was a loss at Miami. The other side, you've got the 19th ranked Tennessee Volunteers. They're coming off their Super Bowl win over South Carolina. <laughs> Super Bowl win. Yeah, Spencer Rattler was a little salty after that game. Oh, I bet he was. They, well, I think everybody can remember last year, the high-powered, high-flying offense, Hendon Hooker, Jalen Hyatt. Well, now oh, yeah. they run, and they run hard. Oh, speaking, before you before you go on, speaking of South Carolina, I saw something on ESPN earlier today. Uh, they said that possibly five quarterbacks could go in the first round, one of them including Spencer Rattler. They have him going in the first round? 25. What, what was the no. source? What was the source? ESPN. Okay, let me tell you something about ESPN. This is the same team that thought trading Chase Young for a third-round pick was going to be better for Washington. Yeah, <laughs> ESPN sometimes puts out some questionable things. Yeah. I think overall there's no way there's going to be five, but that's going to be for another discussion. But overall, Andrew, how do you think this uh, Tennessee team will fare off against Texas A&M, who played uh, Alabama pretty close? I don't know. For me, the biggest part is playing at Nalen. It is very tough to win at Tennessee. And this Tennessee team, they pound the ball, and they pound it well. Three-headed, two two really main running backs, but they've got three backs that can carry it. And Joe Milton can run it too. Um, he has not been the passer they may have expected him to be, but he can still carry it. it. They don't turn it over too much, just six turnovers offensively, 35 points per game. It's a good Tennessee offense that I think will be the reason they win this game. I'm going 38-24 Tennessee. I don't think A&M's going to be able to do too much on the road. They're on their second-string quarterback. That Very true, but all right, I guess. We'll see how that one plays out. And one more thing. This is an important game for Jimbo Fisher. You know he's on the chopping block, right? Oh, absolutely. I would completely agree with that. I think for him it's a very, very big game to see if he can pull this off. If you can't win at home against a not-so-great Alabama team this year, you're not beating Tennessee on the road. Yeah, there's no way. That is true, but hey, it is still Alabama at the end of the day. That is something for sure. Now we're going to go into the AP poll. No, we're not. No, we're not. Yeah, We've got duh. one more game that you were forgetting about. The biggest game. The biggest game. <laughs> Take How it you in. about that? We have game 
of the week and possibly one of the games of the season to come up. We've got number seven, Washington, traveling to Eugene to play number eight, Oregon. The two best offenses in the CFP. It, oh, this is going to be a great game. I'm looking at you hearing your reactions. You're excited for this one, man, I bet. Uh, Any college football fan would be excited for this game. Number two, I believe now, and number three in the Heisman ranking. It's just this is, it's it's two and three, right? I think for so. Nick, yeah, I believe yeah, yeah, yeah. Nix and Penix. Penix is two and Bo is three. It's kind of funny that Bo Nix has Nix in Penix's last name too. So it's kind uh, of yeah, kind of like, like, like they're related a little bit. <laughs> but we have a star-studded matchup coming up. It's look, it's it's projecting to be an amazing game. We've got Bo Nix looking amazing this year. Uh, the Auburn transfer, obviously. He had a little bit of a shaky start to his college football career, but this year he has put all narratives to rest. 1,400 yards, 15 touchdowns to only one pick, and a stat that boggled my mind. He has an 80% completion rate. 80%? 80. 80, wow. 80. You don't see that really too far into the season. Yeah, and he's playing good competition, unlike J.J. McCarthy. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. That's that's. I'm not going to disagree, but yeah. wow. Uh. He's not the biggest rush. Neither of these quarterbacks are the biggest rushing quarterbacks. Uh, although Nix does have 19 carries, 87 yards, and a touchdown on the year, we've got his counterpart in this game, and this is one of the most exciting college quarterbacks I've seen in a little bit. Washington quarterback Michael Penix Jr. Now he's second in the FBS in QBR, first in yards. He's got all one yard away from 2,000 yards. That really makes me angry seeing that stat. Like, just give him an extra yard, please. Make it more satisfying. Uh, 16 touchdowns to two picks, 74% completion rate. He looks so good. It, I mean, he's one of the only guys that's making this Heisman race actually competitive. Because at the start of the year, everyone was like, oh, it's going to be Caleb Williams. Uh, yeah. Michael Penix is making it a race. And honestly, Bo Nix, if he keeps this up, he could be making it a race too. Absolutely. I think, I mean, look at the Pac-12. Was anybody really thinking it was going to be this high-firing offenses around? I mean, looking even around the conference, like a lot of good teams. Yeah. The the Pac-12 currently has, I believe, three teams in the top ten. Yeah, it's three, and they have multiple others like Utah, yeah. Uh, UCLA, Oregon State, Washington State, all in the top 25. Uh, this talk about ending the Pac-12 with a bang. This is a great year for Pac-12 football, especially these two teams, Washington and Oregon. Now, I think, like I said before, these are two of the hot, these, the two highest powered offenses in the FBS. Now, they have over 500 yards a game. Washington slightly edged them out in offensive yards per game, 569 to 557. I think it's going to be I think what defines this game is what defense plays better. Now, Oregon's defense is allowing significantly less yards, almost over 100 yards less than the Washington defense. Uh, I don't know if I trust this Washington defense. I think overall that will be the potential like X-factor major question mark. Washington's defense trying to shut down Bo Nix, which look at what happened when he played or Bo Nix played Colorado. Yeah, that, and everybody, you know how much uh, hype was around that team, but I think this is completely different. This is a Washington team, or uh, an Oregon team, that showed out 
and overall has played to the competition. So I think for Washington, you need to overall get pressure to uh, Knicks and make him make mistakes. Yeah, I think I think an important stat to note is that Washington is currently allowing 240 yards per game in the air to to offenses. That's that's not a good look. And that and that's a dream for Bo Nix. Yeah, and I mean. The game is in Washington, so it's going to be a hostile environment for Bonex to go into. Obviously, you've got a top ten team; everyone's going to pack that stadium. All the kids are going to go crazy in that stadium. It's going to be—it's a three thirty game. It's a middle of the day game. I mean, it says it's going to be good conditions. It's going to be cold, but they are regional, so they do have pretty much the same climate. So I don't think that'll put that'll pay that'll play in too much to it. But Oregon is favored on the road forty. It's 54.8%. My apologies. Uh, Both teams are coming off of a bye week, which I think is going to be great because they're both well-rested and they're both healthy. Uh, Penix did look a little shaky against Arizona two weeks ago. He had no touchdowns. Let me tell you something about Arizona. Looking, All three of their losses are by one score. So it's not like they're a bad team. Yeah. But if you're if you're number two in the Heisman race, you can't be having no touchdowns thrown against a non-ranked player. That, that is fair. Yeah. Uh, but Bo Nix, again, balled out against Stanford before his bye week, four touchdowns. I think it's hard to bet against this Oregon team. Uh, now, wide receiver Troy, Troy Franklin, my apologies, for Oregon, I think is going to be a large part of this Oregon attack. He's got 535 yards on the year on 32 catches, seven receiving touchdowns, and almost 17 yards per catch. Now, I think I think the key, like we were talking about before, is defense. Whoever's defense shows out the most is who's going to win. These two offenses are pretty much unstoppable. So I think whoever has the better defense is going to come out on top. Personally, I think that's going to be Oregon and... I think Oregon takes it on the road, 45-41, in a classic college football shootout. Wow, going with the Ducks. I mean, every reason to, I think this is going to be a great game. You can make cases for either team, Yeah. honestly. I think that's why it's so high coveted of a top-10 matchup. And I have a little bit of a bold take. Hey, let's hear it. I think if he does, if he plays as well as I think he's going to play, I think Bo Nix takes over second in the Heisman race. Oh, no. Over second in no the doubt. Heisman. No yeah, doubt. Yeah, my say, I you, wouldn't think that's that bold I mean, of a take. I mean, Penix's stats, though. He's got he's got 2,000 yards six games in. That's very fair, but look, it'll all Wait, depend no. on... Isn't that five games in? Because they have a bye week. Yeah, the bye week. Yeah, yeah it's five, five games in. Wow. Both, both teams are five games in. Yeah, but I genuinely think that if Bo Nix outshines Penix as much as I think he's going to, I think he takes over number two. Oh, yeah, and I think it depends how Penix plays against this Oregon defense I think if he doesn't have as good as Viday and Bo Nix shines out he'll take over that spot uh completely so I don't think it's that bold of a take but yeah. it's it's an interesting take I'll say and another thing that catches my eye that I'd like to ask you Connor the two wide receivers top receivers for each team are almost identical minus yeah. the touchdowns Troy Franklin and Roma Dunzier yeah. um which one do you think will have a better game well like I said um I think Bo Nix is going to play better, so in large part, I think Troy Franklin's going to shine. But like you said, they do have very similar stats. Uh, there's only about, I think Rome Adunze is averaging three or two yards 
yeah. more per catch. Two more yards per catch, and he has about three less touchdowns. Sixty more yards. Yeah, I mean they both got thirty-two catches. It was it was kind of freaky looking at these stats when I first saw them because I thought they were the same guy at first, just like just on the stats. So it's kind of hard to keep them a little straight there. But I do think Troy Franklin has been a big target for Bonex this year. He's almost got half his touchdowns. Yeah. So I think Troy Franklin's going to play a big part in this, and I think he's going to have a better game. Absolutely, and we will find that out this weekend. But now, switching courses into the AP Top 25, like we usually do, I'll go from 25 to 1. So for 25, we have Miami, Florida, 24, Kentucky, 23, Kansas, 22, LSU. At number 21, Notre Dame, Number or actually, there's a tie for 19. Washington State and Tennessee both have 412 votes, which makes them a tie for 19th. Uh, UCLA is at 18, uh, Duke at 17, Utah at 16, Oregon State at 15, Louisville jumping up all the way to 14, Ole Miss climbing at 13, North Carolina at 12, Alabama staying put at 11, USC at 10, Texas falling down to 9. Oregon at 8, Washington 7, Penn State 6, Oklahoma rising into the top 5 at number 5, Florida State at 4, Ohio State at 3, Michigan at 2, and Georgia at 1. So guys, what do we think about this AP poll? Miami should not be ranked, and I know that's a hot, hot take. But I don't think they should be ranked either. Exactly. That last play yep. was I know exactly what you're talking embarrassment. About. Oh. Absolutely. I think that lost you the game by a mile. Like, how do you not just kneel it down, get away with a win, and overall you cost yourself? I think that should kick you out of the top 25 by a mile, in my opinion. It's not like Miami's bad. It's just a coach. What is he doing? He's playing like it's Madden, and it cost him. It's, I guess it's the Mario Cristobal way, I guess, but I, I, I don't know. I really can't really, there's not really a, Anything you can say to kind of come behind the move of why you end up doing that. Uh, interesting to me, I think Texas falling all the way at to number nine, dropping six spots, drops their CFP chance. I think they won't make it because of it unless they have a dominating Big 12 championship performance if they make it. I am going to have to disagree there. Texas still has a path to the college football playoff. It just requires getting a rematch against Oklahoma and beating them and they still have very good odds to go to the Big 12 championship and win. I can't roll them out yet. I mean, absolutely, but I think looking at it, it depends on if Texas obviously they'd have to win out uh, and Oklahoma we're assuming could potentially win out and that'd be a stellar Big 12 championship match, but I think Texas will need to play a little bit better than if they would have won and just they could squeak by, but I think it's going to have to be just a great performance and overall maybe a double-digit win for Texas. A different point. Look at Georgia. 51st place votes. It was not like that last week. Georgia's drubbing of Kentucky really made the voters say they're number one, and they are. Absolutely not. Yeah, we've said some uh, voter changes uh, with the championship votes or first-place votes. Um, I think a couple of Florida State, as they had more of than Ohio State, I believe we talked about that in a previ- that previous episode. Um, but then those got taken away, and a couple, I believe, from Michigan and brought up to Georgia. At, I mean, rightfully so. I think the uh, dominant performance against Kentucky, I mean, warrants that. They were, they were a 20th-ranked team. I think they deserve those votes. But 
I don't understand the tie between Tennessee and Washington State, though, at 19. I think ties are very rare to come by in the AP poll. So it's overall very confusing kind of to see that Tennessee rise and obviously mix with that Washington State fall. I think Tennessee will be the 20 team. Like It's 19 and 19 on paper, but on television, I'm pretty sure they put Tennessee at 20. I could be completely wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure that's how that works. Yeah, uh, but I was questioning how that works. I'm just shooting a blank in the dark, taking a guess. But overall, I think expected changes in the AP poll. I think it's not really anything too surprising, obviously, besides it, besides maybe even the UCLA jump uh, from unranked to 18 after the upset, I think, was very warranted. Yeah, I, I agree. I love that UCLA that UCLA ranking, uh, they made my boy Cameron Ward look like trash. It, it did not look good. Yeah, I think that took him out of that Heisman talk that you were trying to get him so far yeah, up in. Yeah, that, when you – yeah, I think he's out of it. I don't think there's any coming back from that. I don't think so either. But overall, looking at some of the other teams who had receiving votes – Missouri just outside the top 25 with 69 votes. We have Wyoming with 42 after an impressive win against Fresno State. And Air Force and Wisconsin around 41. Yeah, I think they're tied at 41. Tulane at 47. West Virginia, 26 votes to be put in the top 25. Trust the climb. I think this is important to mention that Wyoming and Air Force both play each other. Missouri and LSU both play each other. Notre Dame uh, versus USC. This is a prime condition for WVU to make a jump. I was going to say that I think there's going to be a lot of changes for the next week's AP polls because teams like Notre Dame are going to fall out once they lose. It's going to be a big shakeup for next week. Wow. Whoa, you think you're, you're guaranteeing, you're guaranteeing a, loss. a loss. I'm, wow. I'm still very frustrated after they let me down. Ugh. So, Notre Dame, you're not on my good graces right now. Wow. Ooh. I guess we have opposing takes on that game. But, yes, I agree with you. I think that AP poll will be looking semi-different compared to this week's as we move on. But switching courses into the N. FL. I'm going to bring back our very own Cam. Welcome back, sir. How are you feeling? Well, I'm sick, as a lot of us are, but I'm a happy Bears fan. Do you want to know why I'm a happy Bears fan? Go no, on. I do not want to uh, know why you're a happy Bears fan. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go on, explain. Start us off. We beat the Commanders, and I thought we were going to lose, especially wow. during the second half. Our defense is so bad but our offense is so good you know what that means it's so hard to be a bears fan it is so hard it's something for sure but i think that win was one you needed badly and justin fields and that dj Moore connection showed out and they needed it to show out oh yeah they showed out uh i i want dj Moore in my fantasy but dom will give me it to him so that sucks but you offered him kj osborne hey, hey and, I, and I picked up kj <laughs> I, I picked up kj excuse me sir but i offered d Devontae smith and kj osborne for dj that's Moore. Terrible. that's a horrible Dude. trade we can talk about that more towards fantasy time but overall for chicago i mean that's a great win it is a great win now Oh boy, oh boy. I, I before you go on what's probably gonna be a rant, I'd like to uh bring back a little take that you had. Uh do you re- do you re- do you recall saying that and I quote, 
if Justin Fields doesn't throw for 200 yards, he should be benched. I did say that, and he th- and he did it. I'm happy. So wait, so he? Oh, I I still can't I still can't get over how horrible that take was. He was never getting benched. I know. I think everybody and even our listeners knew that. I think if you're Chicago, you can't bench him. There's just no way. Yeah, there's no way. Okay. Uh, thank you. So, ah, <laughs> 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 uh, we play the Vikings. Kirk Cochains, you son of a gun. Ah, uh, we have not beat the Vikings in three years. That's impressive. It's been three years. That's impressive. The wow. last time we played them was four days before Christmas Eve, December twentieth, twenty twenty. We won thirty-three to twenty-seven, and the last time we beat the Vikings in Soldier Field. Was the good old Trubisky days? Who Trubisky? Trubisky? <laughs> Trubisky? Trubisky? That's a UNC legend right there, <laughs> might I add. <laughs> Mitchell Trubisky. Yeah, I, I like to say Trubisky. Put that on your uh, line or continuing of botch names Bot- or in yards. Add that on that. What, McNamara. McNamara. Uh, yeah. Yards. Oh. Wow, man. Yards. You can just keep adding on. Whatever that Utah State linebacker's name was. Well, DJ Moore. Eight receptions, 230 yards, and three touchdowns. He had, I think, 49 points in fantasy, so good for him. Kirk Cochains against the Chiefs. 29 of 47, 284 yards, and two touchdowns. My boy from Maryland, Jordan Addison. Six receptions, 64 yards, and a touchdown. As we all know of the Vikings, Justin Jefferson is out. Sad, very sad. We we all wish him the best of luck. <laughs> oh, Dev, I think Minnesota's wishing him, everybody's wishing the best of luck. But my, for Minnesota, it's gonna hurt him the worst considering yeah. he's on IR. I think my fantasy team is mourning his loss. Yeah. So right now, waiver warriors. Yeah, the waiver warriors. Pain. So he, he's doubtful. Khalil Herbert is also doubtful. Both Jalen Johnson and Eddie Jackson are questionable. So that, that they could come back. The safety for Minnesota, Lewis Sign, is also questionable. Oh boy! Here, here's where we get. Here's here's where the fun begins. What the Bears need to do to win? I have written six things down. For the love of God, please cover T.J. Hawkinson. Please, I will cook you. I will cook you fettuccine Alfredo for all I care. So if if you just, right, with what? what linebackers? That's with, what I'm saying. With what linebacker? Well, I I don't know. Just please do it. Please. You're, you're literally putting a couple traffic codes on TJ Hawkinson. Oh, yeah. Since that. Justin Jefferson is out and he I, – I, what was the injury again? Like hamstringer? Or, do we yeah, know? it's a hamstring. Hamstringer. <laughs> yeah. So they're going to – The corners are really going to have to focus on Addison and Osborne. Uh, sack Kirk Cousins for all I care. Get Dante Foreman the ball because – Rashawn Johnson is not going. He's not playing. He's not playing. Get DJ Moore to 200 yards and let Justin Fields run your offense, not Eberflus. Uh, Eberflus? Yeah. E- what? Eberflus? I called Eberflus. 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 Yes. So the Vikings must clamp up Moore and Darnell Mooney. Since two of the Bears' key running backs are gone, they must hound the front. The front offensive line to sack fields. Okay. Uh, more plays than usual. There's going to be more pass plays than usual for the Bears, so the Vikings need to be in zone. Uh, Kirk Cousins better have a ball game because this Bears defense is more trash than the uh, Oscar the Grouch. Uh, wow. 
You know, you're the man losing trash. That's an interesting comparison. Yeah, uh, the Vikings. You know, your run game is off. It's, it's just also garbage. It's like it's worse than a, when your cheese your cheesecake factory meal is like undercooked. So wait, what? Well, how are you getting into this? Uh, hold on. How are we getting into this? Are we go? Are we taking? Are we taking it out on Cheesecake Factory? Che- um, I, I love Cheesecake Factory. The last time factory. I went to Cheesecake Factory, they undercooked my steak. So. I don't care. What about the bread? How do you undercook a steak? You can have it any way you want. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. All right, yo, well, off topic, Cheesecake Factory's top three restaurant bread. Indeed. I agree with you on with that. With Texas Roadhouse and I don't know. Yeah, I love them both. I mean, this. Uh, I think it was, it was Cinnamon Something Cheesecake. Yeah. Changed my life. All right. I never uh, looked at life the same after that. If y'all are ever in Morgantown, you got to figure out the best breadsticks. Oliverio's on the wharf. Yes. That's That's a good take. That's Uh, a good take. And the last thing the Vikings must do is uh, don't let Fields run the ball or you're going to have another uh, performance of a lifetime. And I, for the score. All right. Give a score. Sure. We'll take a score prediction. Oh, boy. Um, The Vikings are going to win. Duh. Shut the f- yeah. shut up, game. <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna win. Close one. They're gonna win thirty-five to fourteen. Wow, Whoa. very a very interesting game for sure to look out for. I mean, I agree. I think Minnesota gets the win. Can I mention something real quick? Not only do you guys have Deontay Foreman running, but your backup running back is your fullback, and as well as Mercedes Lewis will make an appearance this game. Oh yeah! Wow, coming back from the retirement oh, yeah. home down S- south, he sto- will make an appearance. A stone as old as time, man. Wow. wow. Even if we only win one game this season, it will. If that one game will be towards the Commanders, so yeah, for sure. Switching teams into maybe a potential better situation in Cincinnati. Connor, what are we thinking about uh, against Seattle? I mean, if it, if any, I mean, I know it's the Cardinals' defense, but I must say, I think I got my swagger back. <laughs> I, I mean, oh. hey, round of applause. I mean, hey, I got to give Joe it to Burrow. him. Him and Chase balled out like he. They did the last year connection, so I mean, shout out to that. I said earlier in the season that when we get it to Jamar Chase, we just spam it to Jamar Chase. Obviously, with T. Higgins out, it's just going to be that times three. But, wow, franchise record in receptions, 15 catches, 190 yards, and three touchdowns. Wow. Talk about, like, I don't want to say vintage because he hasn't been in the league for a long time, but vintage, Jamar Chase. He, he looked like a stud out there. And I can't lie on that long ball that he threw to Chase, that like 60-something yard touchdown. Oh, it! That, remember in the days, it was amazing. I think we were watching that on Red Zone as we – I think it was either before or during while we were watching uh, the WVU soccer game. Yeah, pre-half post. Shout out. Absolutely. You can catch that on U92. Quick little plug in, of course. Yeah, U92 FM. Uh, yep, listen, th- listen to us talk about every sport, but right now, soccer. Absolutely, yep. That is, that's going to be looking into some pretty good stuff, but continuing on yeah. with Cincinnati. And especially, before we before we go off that, especially tune in to our game against Marshall. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a battle. Oh, me and Cam wow. me and Cam are on the call for that one. Yes, oh yeah, getting me excited for that. It is going to be amazing. But back to Cincinnati. It looked I mean, Joe Burrow did throw a pick, but it we we got a lot of our poise back. We needed that game. 34-20 on the road to the Cardinals, and I know it's the Cardinals, but I think that is a big momentum builder, especially going into a must-win game, in my opinion, 
at home versus Seattle. Now, Seattle has looked very good. Old West Virginia quarterback Geno Smith, it's going to be hard to root against them. But I love my Cincinnati Bengals, so it's, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a great game. Cam Taylor Britt, one of our young secondary players with a pick six. And I can't lie, I was jumping up and down. I think RJ can vouch for me there. I was jumping, I was running yeah, around. Man, you were excited, that's that, for sure. That was amazing. Thank you, Cam, for that pick. Now, 313 yards, three touchdowns, all of those touchdowns being to Jamar Chase, and a pick going 36 for 46. Vintage Burrow right there. I think, besides the interception, he needs, he needed that game very much. But one thing I want to focus on before we hand it off to someone else, Joe Mixon, we need this running game to get back. 25 carries for 81 yards is absolutely unacceptable. It is a terrible stat line. Three yards per carry, three yards per carry. And when you think of Joe Mixon, you think of, oh, he's a pretty good running back. Not right now. He does not look good. It's There's, there's levels to these running backs. And I think since last, since last season, he's gone on a big downward spiral. So I think we need to keep our, keep our momentum, go back home, and win a very crucial game for the rest of our season. Absolutely. I think the Seattle game will be a, a, a fun game, a close game, and a close test for a Cincinnati team that if they get this win against Seattle at home, like you said, I think it'll be very huge for them. But moving on to the Commanders of Washington. Gabe, I know you, are, you have been mourning the past couple of days after Cam's Chicago Bears ended up getting the victory. How do you guys bounce back? Womp womp. Like a wise man once said, last night took an L, tonight I bounced back. Big Sean. Shout out Big Sean for sure. The offense was flat in the first half. They got it done in the second half. I'm not upset at the offense in the second half. The defense was bad. Emmanuel Forbes getting benched for Danny Johnson in the second half is an embarrassment to our first round pick. Jack Dorio has done absolutely nothing for this team but make us look awful. I mean, I don't know. The only reason he's on this team is because our coach is Ron Rivera, and change is nowhere in his dictionary. It took him four years to fire Scott Turner, one of the worst offensive coordinators I've ever seen. I'm pretty sure, I, and I, I'm actually pretty sure he, he forgot that there was a second half on his playbook. Like, that was Scott Turner. Wow. Like, and it took him four years to fire that man. And it's because he used to be in Carolina with him. He's very attached to Jack Dario, and it is bringing the team down and i feel like if we have another seven and nine season ron's done he's yet to have a winning record with this team this is going to be his fifth year we have a new ownership and they are they're a winning ownership now josh harris owns the sixers so winning regular season and then um wow the magic magic johnson who's born on winning he is a winner so they are going to want to win so i feel like ron Rivera is done after this year if he doesn't get stuff together but that Chicago game was bad. I was watching it. With, shout out to John and uh, Dom. I was watching it with them. Sam Howe looked pretty good. He throws that one interception that makes no sense a game. And he did it again. Wow. Like always. As per usual, yeah. 330, 330 yards. That's, that's very good for him. That's a career high. He looked very composed after the interception. 
the offensive line, oh my god. The Chicago Bears had two sacks coming into that Washington game. They had two sacks coming into that Washington game. They left. They left that game with, I think it was eight total sacks on the year. Yeah, we're like oh, that. What do you mean you're like that? That's that is terrible. Crazy. So let me tell you something about this offensive line. There's this one play that sticks out to me, and it's Nick Gates, our center, from the New York Giants. We all know how great that offensive line is. And there's this one play that he snaps the ball and side shuffles out the way like a basketball player, and that defensive tackle rocks Sam Howell's world. I mean, I've seen more protection in an alleyway. Like, this is, this is how bad this is. Sam Howell's the most sacked quarterback in the league. He's got CTE already, probably. His wow. His line is not helping him at all. I don't know what to do, but I just want to move on to this Atlanta game. Atlanta. It's Desmond Ritter, who only, he's only good at playing at home, and guess where he's playing at? Home. But the big thing about this game is the matchups, and it's the running back matchup. And now, if you're not an NFL fan, you don't know the significance of this, but it's B-Rob versus B-Rob. We're going to see who's the better B-Rob. Yeah, that's, that's name right. you got to take, take away the name of the one who loses. <laughs> he doesn't deserve to be B-Rob after, after he loses. It will be Brian. Like many men. He'll come in there. Many men. <laughs> but we just need changes. Um, if I watch this Falcons game and I see David Mayo, Cody Barton, or Jamin Davis on the slot corner 50% of the time, I'm just going to turn off the TV. I- I've never seen linebackers play against slot receivers so much. It, it mind boggles me. It, it, it's just mind-blowing. I'm not even going to give a score prediction to this game because I don't even know. I, I feel like Ron Rivera flips a coin before every game in the sides. If it's tails, he's not going to coach. If it's heads, he is. Like, it, that's how bad it is. Can I give a score prediction for you No, guys? you may not. <laughs> no, no, that is not no. your team. No. So, yeah, that's just my opinion. It's bad. It, it's, it was supposed to, We started out so good. Now we're looking worse than Connor's team. Ooh, what? Wow. The, the scripts have changed. Whoa. You guys what? looked awful to start the year. We look great. We look awful now. You guys look great. That's true, yeah. The how, did, wait, how did you guys look great? Our first two games? Because we were versus Cardinals and the Broncos. Yeah. <laughs> close games, might I add. Yeah. Very close games. But um, moving on. Wow, do I take the stage for... The Cleveland Browns. Um, during the recording, actually, very recently, we found out Deshaun Watson is officially out against the San Francisco 49ers. So P.J. Walker, former XFL legend, will come in for this game. And overall, I just think it's it's not looking good for the Cleveland offense. I mean, defense, yeah, we already know what they can put to the table, no question. But now, you're going up against arguably the best team in the NFL. And in my opinion, I think if you don't have an offense, you don't have your starting quarterback, and your running game against Baltimore was nothing, you can't really do much against a San Fran team that is dominant on both sides of the ball, and even all three phases as well. So I just say overall for Cleveland, there's a lot of things that we're going to need to see here. Um Obviously, quarterback play, Denzel Ward, Greg Newsom, Martin Emerson Jr. They're going to need to cover, cover the guys like Greg, or yeah, George Kittle, not Greg, and Brandon Hayuk. Um, but to cover these guys, we just overall need to play. I think we play better in man coverage, uh, the Browns do. Uh, Denzel Ward is one of the best graded um, cornerbacks in man coverage. So in my opinion, I think you just got to keep them in front. 
I think overall, I would be shocked if it's close. Honestly, if just looking at what happened uh, two weeks ago, um, since coming off our bye, we got a little bit healthier. Um, Garrett, I believe, will play along with Posich and Batonio. Having an injury, did not practice the past couple of days, so I'm hoping he doesn't. Uh, he's not ruled out because if he is, it'd be the first game he has not played or I believe started as a Cleveland Brown. So overall, a lot of question marks coming into this game for Cleveland. I just, I don't know how San Francisco can come into Cleveland and not get the win. But overall, it's I heard it's going to be some Cleveland weather. I've been looking at the forecast for the game, you know, cold, potentially rainy game. So, I mean, that's Cleveland football weather. I think, honestly, that could be a bigger factor than people may think. And shutting down Christian McCaffrey, man, is that a task or what? I mean, oh, I mean, hey, we somehow still have a 33.5% chance on ESPN FPI, but you know how ESPN FPI is. So putting that out there, I'm assuming they thought Watson would start. But I don't know. In my opinion, I just think we have too many injuries. I think we just have to get out of this game, escape it. If you pull off an upset, wow, it would wow the fan base. But overall, I think we're just kind of looking into the next game that is against Indianapolis in Indy. So You also spelled San Francisco wrong, which is hilarious. Did I really? <laughs> yes, you did. Oh, my God. I always oh. spell Man, I don't know why. I always Ooh. just, when I rush notes like that and misspell Ooh. everything. No, I didn't. We we have some breaking news from GPA well, Football. Uh, 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 it is the Patriots. I, I, I'm sorry. I had to get this off my chest. I just got <laughs> oh, it. No. The Patriots, if Mac Jones continues to struggle, since we're talking about the NFL, might turn to former West Virginia quarterback Will Greer. I, I don't know, man. You have Bailey Zappi on that team still. I don't know why you just wouldn't switch with him. Screw Bailey Zappi. Greer have a chance. <laughs> I don't know. Check with Will Greer. I that's, mean, that's yeah. fireworks right there. I mean, if he makes fireworks, hey, shout out. That'd be something, man. I would yeah. be watching every New England game for sure. But overall, I'd say take that with a grain of salt. We don't really know what's going on. That many people do until like the bigger insiders like Schefter and Rappaport and Josina Anderson, just a couple of names, example, kind of put that stuff out there. But overall, I think that is it's still very interesting to point out, though. I mean, it's New England's looking at all options, and I think obviously with that play with Mac Jones, you need to look at other options. I think that's not even a consideration. I feel like Will Greer didn't have a chance because his only games played are with Carolina, and you know how that worked out for most people. I mean, Cam Newton for one, P.J. Walker is one, Bryce Young right now looks awful. Actually, I actually have a P.J. Walker jersey. I don't know why. Uh-huh, okay. Man, wow. You might you might have to wear it potentially I'm, on Sunday. I might I might have to get my mom to bring it up for <laughs> <laughs> See if I can wear it around campus and look like that guy. Oh, my God. that Man, that'd be funny for sure, man, but... Moving on to our fantasy teams. Let's kind of take a look. How did everybody do last week? I beat Connor in fantasy. I had 52 points with Jamar Chase. The only reason you won is Jamar Chase and Justin Justin Jefferson. No, I won because of the main man, David Montgomery and Sam Laporta carried my team. Uh, so you're saying David Montgomery and Sam Laporta carried your team when Jamar Chase had 52 yeah, <laughs> no, they did not. Man, Jamar had fifty-two. Man, he he pulled off. He balled out. 
So those are the only three players on your team that did well. So, oh, I I'll, I'll take I'll take the I'll take the rain here first. Oh, it was a shaky week for my fantasy team. Uh, I currently have two players that were just put on IR this week in James Conner and my main man Justin Jefferson. So one of the pillars of Justin are down. One of them were knocked down. So. It, you talk about Herbert's the other one. <laughs> no, yeah, Herbert's the other. Justin, <laughs> okay, I was yeah. so confused. I've got the pill- I've got the pillars of Justin on my team. So, yeah, it's not looking the greatest. Uh, Amari Di Mercado and KJ Osborne make an appearance on my team this week. Wow, are they starters? Yes. Wow, they, they have to be. Look at that. They have to be. I mean, who who else am I going to start? Drake London. No, that's very fair. Not getting much targets in Atlanta. That's yeah. for certain. Yeah. Wow. My team's not looking that great. We have. A lot of injuries. Kelsey's questionable. Gibbs is questionable. Higgins is questionable. A-Chain is on IR, who's been carrying my team. And AR-15, Anthony Richardson, is once again hurt and injured because the Colts can't protect their quarterbacks to save their life. Uh, AR is on injury reserve. Sam Howe is not my starter. I'm playing R-Rice. I forget which R-Rice this is, but it's not Ray. It's not me either, actually. Okay. <laughs> As we say. Isn't it Rashi Rice? It's Rashi from yeah. SMU. Um, and I have four quarterbacks on my team. What? <laughs> so I have Anthony Richardson and I.R., so that technically doesn't count, but I have Sam Howe starting, and I have Josh Dobbs, who I told you last week I was not going to pick up, and I had to resort to picking him up because wow. I need a backup quarterback. Josh Dobbs season, as you call it, man. And, of course, um, Ben Ruffersberger is on there. <laughs> of course he is. Oh, my God. You're... you're- Captain of my bench. Captain moral support team for the bench. Uh, I'll switch on to my team. My team played like hot trash. Lamar got nine points. Derrick Henry had nine. Herbert injured in that game against uh, the Commanders. Man, my best player was really Jalen Waddle, who had me 14 points. That's all I really had on offense, and everybody else just really didn't do anything at all. I just think overall for my team, I was just looking at it. I'm like, wow. I was already looking into next week. I think Don destroyed me going having DJ Moore absolutely crushed me. Like that production had like almost my whole team by maybe separate twenty points, maybe. This week looks good for you. I'm projected to get under a hundred points against you. Really? You <laughs> yes, are wow. I'm projected to get ninety six points. I actually Ooh. have a chance. That'd be clutch, man. I need it. I'm two and three and especially I need the win. Kind of trying to get back into five hundred, not trying to get in the Waffle House for certain. But, man, that, that's my only hope. I don't care if I finish first. Just don't finish last, man. So, uh, that's the name of the game. I'm done with Devontae Smith. He had one point. Yeah, and you tried to trade him and KJ Osborne for who again? DJ Moore? Yeah. Yeah, good who, luck with that. He was fresh so, off scoring 49. Thank you, Dom, for uh, denying that trade because that would have been an absolutely horrendous trade. I want to thank the, the Jets defense for giving me 18 points. I also want to thank Justin Tucker for doing his usual four. As we all know, Jamar had 52. Burrow had 23. Tony Pollard giving me eight points. Sad. But the king of my fantasy, David Montgomery, had 20 points. Now, I play Ian this week, and I'm going to whoop that trick, as some might say. I have to put in Adam Thielen. Of all people. Wait, huh? wait explain you that. You say whoop that trick? Yeah. What? I'm, what? I, I'm whooping I'm whooping Ian. It must I, be a Maryland thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing that's thing. a Maryland thing. That I've never Ian. heard of that in my life. Ian's got to play Juju. That's all you got to know. 
So I'm going to win this game. Corvette, Corvette. So, hey, winning big. <laughs> I, li- I, like the, I like the Corvette, Corvette. Oh, yeah. The TikTok, one of the TikTok, man, for sure. I mean, Andrew, I mean, even bringing you back in, how did you look? Second straight loss, down to three and two. <laughs> you know what? I'm done with fantasy. <laughs> I say that, but Sunday morning I'm going to be changing my lineup. I don't know. I mean, you better change your lineup unless you want to go bulk season. As long as... <laughs> As long as I don't end up in Waffle House, I'm fine. I'd like to be fifth, you know, fourth. That's fine by me. First round playoff, ex- playoff exit. It's whatever. But just don't come in last. My pride would be hurt. Dang it. I'm aiming for ninth place. Yeah, we got to we gotta flip around a Ricky Bobby court. If he ain't last, you're good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, that's for certain. I mean, looking at our punishment for the Waffle House, uh-uh. I don't know. I know nobody wants to do that. No. But, man. Switching into a new last segment. We're testing this out here. I I'm just going to try and see what we can get here, kind of get some listener feedback. And I have uh, a couple questions for us here, and I believe, Andrew, you have one as well. So first question I have submitted by one of our listeners, Jay, will Tua win the MVP this year? What do we think? I don't think so. I'm going to be honest. Um, If Tua wins the MVP, he should have Tyreek Hill up there holding the trophy at the same time. I mean, yeah, I would agree with you. I think the offensive powerhouse for Miami, it's not going to last that the full season. Like, you're not going to put up 500 offensive yards a game for like 17 games. It's just, it's not possible. Yeah, it's just, it's just not sustainable. I think a, I think a more realistic candidate. Um, some people see it as a hot take because they don't because running backs don't really win MVPs a lot. I think Christian McCaffrey's got a bid because he has been playing lights out this year. Now I see the, I see the two a take. I definitely see that with the number one offense in the league. They have been absolutely amazing this year. But I just don't think that kind of play is sustainable. So I think honestly, I think this would be if any year to do it, since Patrick Mahomes is having a bit of a down year. I think this would be the year to see a running back win it. Uh, I think if Tua were to win, he'd have to actually beat good teams because they got smoked by the Bills. But other than that, if you want to win MVP, it's the year to do it. Absolutely, that is for certain. About to say, Andrew, you got. What do you think, man? You think he's going to win MVP? I mean, I haven't really watched enough to it, but it, he's definitely played pretty well. Kind of a little bit overinflated stats wise with the Broncos game. It should play out towards the end of the year, though. Absolutely. I think it's going to be a very, very close race with a lot of names. So, a, a really good question then. Second question that was submitted by Zach that's mainly kind of more aimed towards me in the Cleveland uh, Browns fan base. Should Cleveland got rid of Josh Dobbs? Should we have traded him off to Arizona for that fifth round pick? And I'm going to answer really by saying, yes, we should have. I mean, looking into this season, you weren't going to, you weren't expecting Deshaun to get that shoulder injury that he has now that keeps him out this long. You expect him to be the long run option. And you knew you brought in a couple guys that just in case anything happened, like DTR, for example, wishing it didn't happen this early in the year. And, uh, PJ Walker, who's getting the start uh, this Sunday, I think overall it was the right move. You got a, a mid-tier pick that you could potentially use in a trade towards the deadline. Yeah, and I think uh, I think a large part that played into the trading of Josh Dobbs was the preseason that DTR had. Um, obviously, that we saw with that last game that he played, it didn't translate to a regular season game. Like, I mean, it is a really early start 
he is he was being thrust into a position that he shouldn't have been thrown into but I think that DTR's preseason played a really large part in that Josh Dobbs trade. Absolutely. I completely agree with that as well. Yeah, and I agree, too, that Josh Dobbs trade was the right play. Um, there's not many quarterbacks that you can say were third stringers and became full-time starters. Tom Brady is a big exception. But I feel like thrusting DTR in situations he's not comfortable with is great for his development. He's a fifth-round rookie with no expectations. He's got, he's got no expectations, and him messing up is, is part of the job. Absolutely. I think with a rookie, and especially being a fifth-round pick, I think that's going to happen. You're going to have those horrible gains. But, I mean, if it pays off in the long run, I mean, I'll take that any day for sure, definitely. Um, Looking at uh, the third question here that we have here submitted by Braden, who will win the AFC? I I like this question. I think it's a really good question. Yeah, and he was very interested in this because he said it was up for grabs. And I do agree. There are multiple good teams like the Dolphins and the Bills and the Chiefs who have all stakes in that. But in my opinion, I like the Bills. And I know it's a weird one. But I feel like when they get their act together, I know Tredavious White is out again, but I feel like they're gonna they're the team that I feel like will really solidify themselves as getting their act straightened up as the season goes on. The Chiefs offense has looked shaky. Shout out Eric Benetemy look making Andy Reid look pretty decent. Oh <laughs> my god, wow. But I, I'm going with the Bills. Wow, going with the Bills. Who do you got, Cam? I think it's the Chiefs because they're going to get bailed out by the refs almost every game now. They've been getting bailed out by the refs for the last two games. What do you think? I I don't know about the refs carrying them to winning the AFC, but they always figure it out come playoff time. It's happened for the past couple years. Mahomes is Mahomes. Kelsey is Kelsey. The wide receiver talent hasn't really been there this year, especially with the loss of Tyreek Hill and I believe it was McCole Hardman. Yes, they lost him a while ago. But it's they always figure it out. They'll probably make some trade, and the, I think the Chiefs are going to win the AFC. I obviously I could go with the Chiefs, but I'm going to go a little bit bolder here. I think the Bengals. I mean, the Bills. I wow! wow. All right, it hurts as a Browns. I'm fan, a I'm a Bengals fan, and I don't believe it. Last wow. in the division, and they're going to make oh, their way to I, the top. Uh, I, the wow, AFC that's North something. Dogfight. You're never out in the AFC North this year. That's true. The Bills seem to have. A very good ability to lose in the playoffs. And the Chiefs just have not looked that dominant this year. For some reason, I just think the Bengals, if they can keep turning it around, then this team, they could, they seriously could have the weapons to compete and maybe get back to the Super Bowl with that experience on the team. Yeah, I can kind of see where you're coming from. That division, you know, it's the Bengals, the Ravens, TJ Watt, and um, the Browns. So... Yeah, with saying that, and the quality of the AFC North this year, especially with the Bengals coming back, and after that game, I think if they continue that momentum, honestly, if we look at it like this, do we think that the winner of the AFC North wins the AFC? With the quality that they've shown so far this year? I mean, yeah, there's quality, but I just think I don't think that's gonna be the case. I don't think I don't think the winner of the AFC North, regardless of who it is, is gonna win the AFC. And and my pick has gotta be the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, it's Patrick Mahomes, man. Look at what he's made out of his weapons. Like, even Pacheco in the passing game sometimes, and even just establishing some sort of running game, having Kadarius Toney, kind of having that Sky Moore, those other guys that aren't as big-name talents, getting that job done. 
I just you got to go with Kansas City and what Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, and what all they've done. I think it's very hard to pick against them because it's almost like it's going to be Mahomes almost every year. Yeah, the Chiefs. The Chiefs are the Thanos. They're inevitable. They just they always find a way. They always find a way. Hey, you're right. That's a great way to put it. Uh, fourth question here we have. If the Browns were to win against the San Francisco 49ers this week, what would be the final score and how would they win? I'll answer this one pretty quickly here and get a couple other of opinions. But I just think if Cleveland's going to win, it's going to be on the ground. It's going to be a dogfight. It's going to be a low-scoring, maybe 17-14 game. I think that would be the only way Cleveland wins. You just can't see Cleveland being dominant with Watson out and playing against a stacked uh, San Francisco team. Yeah, I like a like you were saying. I like a low scoring game. I think twenty seventeen. Uh, it's going to take a Jerome Ford masterclass. I think that run game is completely dependent, and the Browns defense, like I've said many times before, has looked scary this year. They've been locking up. They've got the pass rushers. They've got everything, and I think it's a defensive battle, but. Like you said, I think I think it's a run game. You want to hear something? The Browns aren't going to score a touchdown. I, uh, that's not I, a bad I, take, I can, honestly. I can, I can see that. It's not the, the worst take. Do. Oh, you want to go? To be fair, the question was if the Browns were to win. Yeah, they won't. They're true, not going to yeah. score a touchdown. They'll win. The all field goals. I think all the Niners, field goals. I think man. the Niners are going to win forty-one-nine. That wasn't the question, uh, my guy. No, it's that's not happening, man. With this weather, I just don't think it's going to happen. If and if the Browns were to win, I think it had to be just off a. Of, Low scoring, running the ball, offensive line led, and obviously defensive led win for sure. And then final question of our little Q&A segment here before we end off the show. If Deshaun plays this week or even next week against Indy, is the Browns season still salvageable? I'm going to say no. Um, You guys have lost Nick Chubb. Deshaun Watson's kind of iffy right now with the shoulder, and that's a killer for quarterbacks. I'm not saying the season is out, but salvage, if, to be able to salvage the season, I don't think it's a smart idea because you guys will be in a wild card position and a first round exit. Yeah, I like that take. Um, like we were talking about, the AFC North is always a dogfight, and with every other team on the rise, it seems. The Steelers are on a hot streak, sadly. Um the Bengals are on the rise again. The Ravens are looking decently solid. I don't know if I don't know if I'd say salvageable about their season if if Watson plays. I don't know. I mean, I'm assuming salvageable here means playoffs in my opinion. I mean, it's still possible looking just how weak the Browns schedule is later on down the line. Obviously, playing against Indy next week, they don't have Richardson, so not as good as a team as they would be if they had Richardson. And then looking at even Seattle, it's a pretty good defensive team always, and it's in Seattle. I know we're wrapping up, but before we wrap up, I just want to mention, shout out Chase Claypool for getting traded to the <sighs> Dolphins for a six-round pick. Thank you, it was, God! It, it was a seven-round pick and Chase Claypool for a six-round pick. <laughs> Thank and, you, and, God! And Coach, Coach McDaniels legit said... I wasn't looking for receiver help. So that means Chase Claypool is on special teams. <laughs> get that get that locker eating clown out of here. Goodbye. 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 Oh my lord. Well, very interesting. I would even bring that up. So they thanks for mentioning that Gabe for sure as I finished looking through the schedule here for the Browns. 
The car. I mean, you got the Cardinals, uh, two divisional games, one in Baltimore, and then at home against Pittsburgh. Then you got Denver, L.A., a decent, good Jacksonville team, Chicago, Texans, Jets, and then the Bengals, who have been on the rise so far. So I think, I mean, Watson's going to be healthy by the time these later games come around. I would especially hope for the divisional games. So in my, in my honest take, I think it's still salvageable, but... We don't control our own destiny here, I don't think. We're going to need some help from some other teams around the league. We just have to hope kind of the division beats in on each other. And with all the uh, adversity faced this year by the Browns, I would assume that you'd have to consider a first-round playoff exit uh, as more than salvaged. It'd be a good season. It'd be a success. You know, Once we get to see a full season of Chubb and Watson, then we can really have a baseline for what this team could be. Absolutely. You nailed it right on the head, I think. That is when we should first start to analyze the team. But I think to answer the question, in my opinion, it's still salvageable, but we will have to wait and see. And that'll wrap up Episode 5. Thank you guys for tuning in. It's been a, a wild episode, but we all appreciate you for listening. And as always, take it easy. Let's go Mountaineers. Yes, sir. Go Nears. Go Nears. Go Nears. Go Nears.